1: Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to Everyday Enviro on Saltful Full Service Radio, a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. This show is all about empowering you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making, just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but we'll show you just how easy it can be when you know exactly which small things really do matter. Today, I'm joined by Tim Carman, food writer for The Washington Post. Tim, welcome.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: So, Tim, you've covered all manner of subjects related to food for The Post, uh, but you've really devoted a lot of attention to the very best places to find delicious food that doesn't break the bank. And when it comes to affordable meals, people spend a lot of time chasing restaurant deals, but they don't spend much time thinking about the fact that they could do a much better job stretching their food dollars at home. When we go out to eat, we're used to ordering something that looks great, enjoying it, paying the bill, and calling it a day. But when we cook at home, we have an opportunity to get much more mileage out of our food dollars by creating plans for second- and third-day meals. And that's what we're going to explore today. So, Tim, I know you're an avid home cook, in part because I follow your culinary adventures Uh. with great interest on Facebook. (laughs) Um, And I also know that you tend to spend your weekends on what I can only reasonably call major meat projects at home, <laughs> whether that's smoking or braising or roasting something spectacular. And the photos you post of your finished product suggest that there's always a ton of food at the end of a long cooking process. So that got me wondering, do you go into these projects with plans for leftovers?
2: Well, you are exactly right. Um, your research is spot on, as always. <laughs> and so... I do, you know, I, I spend so much time in restaurants now. Uh, I eat out probably 14 to 20 times a week. Wow. Um, so my cooking projects tend to be large, sort of party-focused uh, uh, dinners. And so that, you know, and they're usually built around uh, barbecue because I have a, a an offset smoker in the backyard. Sweet. Um so I do long, slow Texas style barbecue parties and there's tons of leftovers. I mean, I always try to plan it so they don't buy too much meat because meat's expensive as mm-hmm. it should be. I mean, I'm sure we could have a whole conversation on why meat's expensive and buying good quality meat that's locally raised, all that. But check the
1: everyday archives for episode number two.
2: <laughs> <laughs> meat, uh, meat's expensive. So I don't try to buy too much of it. Um, but there's always leftovers, uh, in part because people at parties they drink, they have appetizers, um, so by the time the barbecue comes off the grill and it's rested and cut and all that, they're, they've got a, their belly is like half full, mm-hmm. so they don't eat everything that I hope they would. So, but what I always do because I know my wife and I will not eat all these leftovers. Certainly, you know she she's not a, a meat eater for the most part, um, so I will pack everyone a doggy bag.
1: Oh, that's a good idea.
2: I you know, it's like they're invited. They know what I do. So everyone goes home basically with a parting gift of uh, smoked ribs, a bunch of sliced brisket, whatever they want so that we end up with so little because I know it'll just go to waste and it, it's it's too much labor involved, too much cost involved that I don't want that to go to waste.
1: That's really smart. And it's kind of like the way the chefs say, thank you for coming.
2: Right. So I love right. that.
1: Um, so when you when you are not able to sort of employ Thanksgiving rules and send people home Tupperware uh-huh.
0: um,
1: Do you shop for ingredients for second or third day meals along with sort of the debut dinner ingredients?
2: So I try to do it more uh, market style cooking. Um, when I do something that's just for my wife and I, uh, I would just go out and cook or find ingredients that day. Mm-hmm. And typically, I don't buy a lot of prepackaged ingredients. I'll try to go to a market or go to the produce section. And buy just enough for us. And that typically works out. I mean, we don't have a lot of leftovers. And if we do, we we'll eat them for lunch the next day.
1: Awesome. So that was my next question. Exactly. What are what are your favorite sort of second day meals?
2: Well, you know, I think there's uh, one easy thing is to turn anything into a scramble. Mm-hmm. Like for breakfast. <laughs> did that last
1: night. Right. <laughs> it's
2: such an easy idea, right? It's like if you've got some leftover vegetables or even some, some diced up meat, uh, chop it up, uh, put some eggs in a pan, and make a scramble. It's so simple.
1: That's really smart because sometimes there's only a little leftover food to work with, and so you're going to need to sort of elongate it by applying other ingredients. Right. Um,
2: there, there's also another idea. Um, I think it's it's a terrific idea. You know, th- there's this classic leftover uh, you know, I'm sure you've uh, had chile quiles from a Mexican restaurant.
1: I have not. What is that?
2: Which is basically the way they they get rid of leftover uh, uh, corn chips. They will mix it with like cheese and, and, and egg and maybe a little bit of meat, some chiles, some chopped up chiles, and bake it and then serve it. And it's like a breakfast dish in Mexico. It's delicious. And you can do that if you've got some stale chips um, and, and whatever ingredients you have left over because there's really no rules about what you can put into a Chile's. But um, it was funny. I was at an Ethiopian restaurant, and, you know, you get everything served on injera, mm-hmm. which is that spongy flatbread.
1: And sweet, amazing sourdough. It, it is, is the best If stuff it's on Earth. really
2: done well, there is that sort of, like, sour flavor in it. Um, but if you... There's always leftovers, I find, mm-hmm. at Ethiopian restaurants, and if you just have them roll up the whole injera, which gets soaked in all the sauces and the berber sauce and all that, and then take it home, put it in the refrigerator, you can, like, cut that up and put it in a saute pan, almost like a chilequiles. Wow,
1: that's a great idea. With a little
2: bit of an egg. It's such a... It's so good.
1: I love that. Also, the more injera I can get in my life, the better. Um so my version of what you're describing i refer to at home as kitchen sink pasta right so i will just take usually a long noodle and add whatever i got
2: (laughs) right (laughs) right
1: um you know earlier or over the weekend i made a salad that just had some fresh tomatoes and some basil from the garden and some peppers Last night, that became a scramble, but that would certainly have been eligible for a pasta dish.
2: Plus, you have a garden. That plus, I,
1: well, I mean, I use the term loosely. It's like more of a, a, a tiny box.
2: <laughs> uh, right, right.
1: <laughs> it's not in the ground or anything. Um, but these are three great ideas across three cultures, frankly, um, where the idea is you're using a small volume of leftovers plus one other major ingredient to create a second day meal. Uh, Do you have any other sort of innovative tips for how you might repurpose leftovers? Well, there's
2: so many ideas out there. I think one that I really like is, you know, say you've roasted vegetables as part of a meal. I mean, it could be any vegetable, right? And you have so many leftovers and you don't feel like reheating sort of soggy vegetables from the refrigerator. What you could do is like puree those and put in a little chicken stock or vegetable stock or whatever and have a soup.
1: That is brilliant.
2: It's Absolutely. such an easy idea. And, you know, maybe you don't have a whole lot of vegetables. Well, you don't need a whole lot for just mm-hmm. a, a, a lunchtime soup.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And also with vegetables, you could do a quiche.
2: Right. Super Absolutely. simple.
1: Um, and then there's always, of course, the stock option.
2: If it's like right. more
1: on sort of the peel end and less on the nice meaty end.
2: Right. If you're using like scraps from your leftover, like don't throw those peels away.
1: Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So now that we have a little bit of a better sense what to do with our leftovers, do you have any tips for helping the home cook best elongate the lifespan of their leftovers so we can still use them even if we can't get to them the very next night?
2: You know, one of one of the best ideas I've read about, uh, not my idea, but I think it's really smart. It's like... I don't know. When in my younger years, I used to just wrap everything in foil, then throw it in the in the refrigerator, and you wouldn't know what it was. And after a while, you know, a week later, you'd look in there and like, what is that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something composting in there, right?
2: And you know, you wouldn't throw it away until it starts smelling bad. And I think one idea is just to have small glass containers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not reactive. They're not plastic, and you can see what's in there. And Often, I think, when you can't see what's in there, you forget that you actually have leftovers. Out of
1: sight, out of mind. Yeah.
2: And I think that's just one really simple way to deal with leftovers.
1: That's a really good point. Um, it's also, obviously, from an environmental perspective, it's much more reusable. Because exactly. you can wash the glass, whereas the foil like cannot even be recycled. That exactly. is going right in the landfill. Exactly. All right, so now we have figured out another way to minimize our personal carbon footprint. If you just keep your leftovers in clear containers that are reusable you are going to be inspired to pot- potentially incorporate them into meals to come.
2: Right, you actually start to see them turn, which I think is important, too. Yeah, it's like visual you- cue. Yeah, exactly. It's time to use these.
1: Yeah, awesome. All right, so we're talking with Tim Carmen of The Washington Post about maximizing the mileage you get out of your leftovers. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we'll get some tips on how you can put his observations into practice in your home kitchen. Back in a sec. Thank you Welcome back. This is Everyday Enviro, a show about the small things you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. I'm Danielle Vogel, founder of Garden Market, and I'm joined today by Washington Post reporter Tim Carmen. We've been talking about strategies for stretching your food dollar by planning for leftovers. And now we're going to give you some tips about how you can put those strategies into action in your home. So Tim, when Chef Tim Ma was on the show a few weeks ago, he shared a good tip for preserving herbs. Uh, he suggested that you should cut only what you need and then wrap the remainder in a wet paper towel. Do you have any tricks like that for bringing restaurant cooking techniques into home kitchens specifically to fight food waste?
2: That's a good question. Uh, well, not being a chef, I, I haven't really thought uh, too much about this subject. Um, I mean, we, when we have herbs, we don't have an herb, herb garden sounds like you have uh, (laughs) well
1: we have two basil pots
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay well that's better than us uh we when we do buy herbs we uh typically will will uh put them in a a glass of water and uh keep them basically just alive Mm -hmm. so they they don't wilt because i mean isn't that the isn't that the the It's not gross but it's like it's it's one of the classic problems i think of buying any sort of produce is that you get more than you're going to you're going to use mm-hmm. for one meal mm-hmm. i think it's a particular issue with herbs um so the key is to keeping them alive keeping them fresh and that i think that is one way I don't, you know we don't wrap them in like a moist uh, uh paper towel we just actually put the stems in, in a glass in a glass and let them And they will stay on the counter, you know, put them in a sunlight area. They will stay fresh for over a week.
1: Yeah, they'll continue to absorb the water. That's, in fact, how we store our produce overnight at Glen's. Yeah. So we use sort of, you know, a more industrial size version of what you're describing, but we keep our uh, leafy greens vertically in about two inches of water Yeah. and then in the morning we submerge them in an ice bath. This is a process called shocking. And what happens is then the leaves start to absorb that moisture and then when they go back into the refrigerator for display, they stand upright because they get really cold and it's like they've sucked up the water and now they're, um, they're much more rigid. Right. So you're able to preserve the integrity of those nice leafy greens for significantly longer than you would if you just had them in a plastic bag in your refrigerator for instance.
2: Yeah, I think that's the key for just about anything. Any fresh produce is learning how to store it, yes. right? It's like some things shouldn't go in the refrigerator because they, they take on the wrong texture right. and go bad. So,
1: for instance, tomatoes. Tomatoes. Should never, ever be in your refrigerator. They
2: should not. And, I, you know, how often do you find them in the refrigerator? Uh, I will not name names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... You know, if, if you cut them, just put them on a paper towel, uh, slice down. Yep. Yep. So there's not air hitting the exposed part that's been cut, and they will last longer. They'll taste better.
1: Yep. Um, other, I, do, I, I actually refer to this classification as produce hardware in yeah. the store. Um, so other things that should not be in your refrigerator, potatoes, garlic, onions. Um, basically, anything that you find at the grocery store on a table instead of on the wet wall, meaning in the refrigerator, right. you should... Take that as a cue that that is not a piece of produce that should be refrigerated.
2: Have you ever tried some of those uh, products have been out, I guess, maybe five, 10 years now that lines your your produce uh, uh, bin in your refrigerator that's supposed to extend the shelf life of it?
1: No, this is genius.
2: Um, Yeah, I've never tried it. I've read about it. People claim it works. Um, That you just like put the ones that are meant for cold storage and put it on these sort of, they look like basically like paper towels, but they're they're supposed to extend the life of whatever vegetables you put in your crisper. Very cool. So that doesn't become like the death drawer.
1: I have a feeling part of that is because the climate in the refrigerator is actually really dehydrating. So as you dehydrate that produce, it obviously it wilts yeah. um, and you lose that beautiful character of having it nice and hydrated. And, yeah. Um, I really don't want to use the word erect, but that is, my, <laughs> right. that is in fact the word I mean. You know what I mean? Okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> So we were before that uh, mortifying tangent, um, <laughs> we were talking about restaurant kitchens. So in your travels and studies, what have you seen chefs around town do to repurpose leftovers effectively?
2: Well, I think like the chilaquiles yeah, is a great it's a idea. Yeah, a good example. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing that I do notice is like, and this is maybe leftovers, but I think it's sometimes ingredients that chefs don't want to use uh, because they don't feel like, uh, they're going to get purchased by the, the public, mm-hmm. and they tend to be like fattier cuts. Like uh, I'll use an, I'll use a barbecue example. Like uh, I know there is uh, a place, uh, Urban Barbecue, that they typically don't use sell a lot of their fattier side of the brisket, so they will cut it up and and put it into various products. They will put it into their chili, for example. So it enriches the chili. Mm-hmm. And, and people
1: aren't turned off by the fattiness.
2: They're turned off by the fattiness. Although I think that's changed some with, with more knowledge about you know good barbecue. But uh, they will use the fattier end of the brisket, uh, chop it up, and use it in various products. And I think that's a smart use. So you're buying a whole brisket. So you're not buying like smaller parts of a brisket mm-hmm. that people will buy. And, and So you use a whole brisket. You can smoke the whole thing. You can slice it. You can use the product that you think is going to sell, like maybe the, 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 uh, the flat, which is the leaner side, mm-hmm. and sell that, uh, and, but then use the point side, which is the fattier part of the brisket, and use that for chili, or you can, like, there's one uh, urban uh, uh, barbecue uses, has these, created these things called soul rolls, which is kind of like an egg roll, but they fill it with fatty brisket.
1: Oh, man.
2: It's so good. That sounds good. And it's, it's like a very clever way to extend a product and use a product that would typically go to waste.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, a couple of things that we do in the store, I've mentioned this before, but um, pesto is the perfect leftover yeah. res- receptacle. Um, so, you know, your greens are starting to look a little wilty. Add some olive oil and some pine nuts if that's your thing. A little Parmesan if, if you don't mind that in your food, and then whatever greens you have. Right. Arugula makes a beautiful pesto. Obviously, basil, but real, really, you can use anything. Chard does it does the trick as well.
2: And you don't have to use pine nuts either. Pine nuts are really expensive, and mm-hmm. I think people get they are get a little turned off. about
1: Walnuts it. work fine.
2: Yeah, walnuts work fine. In fact, walnut pesto is really pretty tasty.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and then another thing we do, you know, we make these awesome roast chickens every day. Uh, but we don't necessarily sell all the roast chickens that uh, we make. So that becomes inevitably what? Chicken s- salad.
2: Right. Right. Of course. That chicken gets yeah. pulled the next day yeah. for chicken
1: salad. So there's yep. just really all manner of ways you can get creative with your leftovers.
2: Do you ever use the leftovers for a soup?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um So, actually, uh, I've been warned not to tell this story, but here we go. Uh, So, our kitchen (laughs) operates. The attorneys are involved in this. Um, It's more like the marketing folks. Um, So, our kitchens have to operate under a no-waste mandate. They are not allowed to put any food into the landfill. Um, So, we have to have sort of second-generation recipes for everything that might enter the grocery store. So, you asked about soup. All of the tomatoes that aren't looking their very best Mm -hmm. in the produce department either go straight to the deli to be sliced into sandwiches or they become our delicious tomato basil soup
2: smart yeah i mean it's
1: literally it's three ingredients it's tomatoes a little bit of basil and some olive oil that's it
2: how long do you give your tomatoes before you you put them into soups
1: Um, because it's a retail situation, it really is a visual test. So it depends on a lot of factors. You know, how, how old was it before it got to us? How was it handled while it was in our care? You know, perhaps how was it handled by our neighbors as they sifted through to find the perfect one on the shelf? So I can't give you a rigid answer on that. Um, but the answer is like when they do not look absolutely flawless, they go to sort of the next generation recipe.
2: Well, and I think the laws have changed too. It used to be you could not give a lot of leftover, uh, Produce or leftovers from restaurants to like shelters right. or or uh, you know like DC Central Kitchen, but I think there's a Good Samaritan law. That's now. exactly right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's that's always an option too.
1: That's a that's a great point. Um, so our kitchen is closed two days a year: the day after Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. And there are the way I put it is there are some foods that won't make the jump, so they right. will not still be fresh upon the reopening of the store. Um, and so every year we bring them down to Martha's table and nice yeah give them sort of a second chance so that is uh it's not ideal from a business perspective because you really want to make sure you're getting your mileage out of that investment right um but it's really great to have another opportunity in the community for that food to nourish
2: someone it's so much better than going to the landfill oh
1: yeah of course and it's good. i would never go to landfill of course it would be composted <laughs> um but anyway so uh i go, just a few more questions so what about your own restaurant leftovers you mentioned you eat out 14 times a week. Um, what are you doing with the food you can't finish at the table?
2: This is this has got to be the eternal struggle for me. Um, because when you eat out, when I eat out so much, it's like um, I don't often have time then to eat their leftovers. So I have to, like, I have to make a calculation at the table. Um, what am I going to do? Am I going to take the leftovers with me and then take, like, the packaging that goes with it mm-hmm. and... You know, a lot of the restaurants I I eat in, they will use styrofoam, and I really don't want to put more styrofoam. Don't name out there.
1: names; that is quite illegal in the District of Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I, I do a lot of eating out of the birds, uh-huh, of yeah. course. Um, so, I you know, unless I really know I'm going to eat it, or I will often check with my wife to see if she will if mm. she wants to have something for lunch tomorrow, and I'll ask her. And and if I don't, I make the tough decision if I'm not taking it with me, mm-hmm. you know, because I figure the restaurant uh, will figure out something to do with it. Maybe I hope they won't just toss it. Mm-hmm. But um, I really try not to take leftovers that I know I won't uh, uh, use. Um, now, another thing I've done, I, about, oh, I don't know, five, no, maybe not five years ago, four years ago, um, everyone uh, communicates uh, at the, the post via Slack, mm-hmm. you know, the internal, it's, it's, I mean, you probably know what Group Slack texting, is. Yeah. Kind of. yeah, it's like internal texting. And so we have all these different channels that you can, like, limit to the conversations with people and, and uh, help, working with the tech team, I created a leftovers channel.
1: Smart!
2: And so when I have leftovers that I know I'm not going to eat and I go, when I go back to the paper, like if I have a lunch and uh, I know, because the thing about journalists that we will eat anything. <laughs> I know
1: this from my <laughs> husband. I know this to be true.
2: You know, you could put four day leftover cake out, you know, that has been <laughs> rock hard. The operative and word was someone cake. Will eat it. Yes. <laughs> Nothing
1: else matters. <laughs> right.
2: And someone will eat it. So uh, I, we started this channel and it started off with just a few dozen people. And I think the last time I looked, there's like Seven eight hundred people in the, in the channel, <laughs> and all you have to do is post a picture of what you've got left over, and someone instantaneously will take it. Wow! And, and it's great. It's like it doesn't go to waste. People are really grateful about this too, because I mean, there's all different levels of experience and 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 uh, money earners at the paper, and some really appreciate having an opportunity to eat something they wouldn't eat normally and for free. Yeah. That, yeah. I
1: love that. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, um, that's really cool. All right, so now let's get besides um, Tim's fellow reporters eating his leftovers. Let's get even more personal if, that, if that's possible. <laughs> um, so you, you obviously you eat it a lot. You've sort of shared that you don't tend to take home food if you know if you don't know that it's going to be consumed. Um, but when you're thinking about your dinners at home for any given week, are you thinking through a meal plan? Like, is minimizing food waste part of the way you think through? Your weekly, you meals? know,
2: I don't cook enough to have any sort of plan like that. You know, if, if but if I did, I, I I would think about it. I would think about meals. Um, you know, maybe prepare something that you could have multiple days that would be good, as a, a soup or a stew or something like that that would hold that actually gets better mm-hmm. over time. Maybe sure like does. a lasagna, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, where that de- develops flavor over time, gets kind of creeps into the pasta itself. Uh, those were the kind of things I would definitely think
1: mm-hmm. about. Cool. And Tim, this show empowers folks to make little behavioral tweaks to reduce their personal carbon footprint. So do you have any insider pro tips for things you do in your own personal life to reduce your environmental impact?
2: I really try not to ever drink bottled water.
1: Yes, thank you.
2: Um,
1: oh, my God. Is that stuff the worst?
2: I ha- Well, not that I'm saying I'm – not, I'm not perfect, okay? You know, if I'm out somewhere and I really need water and there's not one available, I will – grab one so you know but I always look for a recycling area for those uh, I won't just throw it in the trash yeah never certainly. ever just throw plastic bottles in the trash um, but you know I have uh, I have this this water bottle on my desk and we've got plenty of water fountains around the paper and I just that's all I do to refill it.
1: Awesome. I mean, that's perfect. Reusable water bottles. Talk about a small behavioral change you can make to reduce your personal carbon footprint.
2: I just nailed the, it. I mean, you just look at the that that floating garbage barge out of the ocean. Did
1: you see the article this week that we're now producing a million plastic bottles an hour?
2: It's it's insane. Yeah. It's I wild. mean, wh- when did we need to like have a plastic bottle to drink water? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so I worked at Whole Foods really briefly before I opened Glen's, and bottled water was their number one selling product in the store. They had an entire aisle, both sides, dedicated to it.
2: Well, that was, uh, I think there was a recent survey of American drinking habits, and the number two drink now is bottled water. Behind what? Soda.
1: Coca-Cola. <laughs> Soda, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, um, not the most... Uh, upbeat note (laughs) to land on. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, But I'm going to take us down even further in a moment. Um, So Tim, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. I learned a ton. I'm feeling really empowered to take my refrigerator to task. So thank you. But before we end our time together, let's take a moment to reflect on why climate change is a problem worth even attempting to address at the personal level. It's huge and complex, and at times it seems well beyond our control. But it's not. This is your moment of motivation coming at us this week from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, aka America's very best climate scientists, NOAA. Models project that by next year, global service temperatures will be more than 0.5 degrees Celsius warmer than the 1986 to 2005 average, regardless of which carbon dioxide emissions pathway the world follows. This similarity in temperatures, regardless of total emissions, is a short-term phenomenon. It reflects the tremendous inertia of Earth's vast oceans. The high heat capacity of water means that ocean temperature doesn't react instantly to the increased heat being trapped by greenhouse gases. By 2030, however, the heating imbalance caused by greenhouse gases begins to overcome the ocean's thermal inertia, and projected temperature pathways begin to diverge with unchecked carbon dioxide emissions likely leading to several additional degrees of warming by the end of the century. Guys, 2030 is within the decade. Carbon dioxide levels today are presently higher than at any point in the past 800,000 years. None of us can solve this problem alone, but we have no choice but to address it together. So please do your part. Take the extra moment to think about ways you can use leftovers instead of tossing or composting them. We can make progress one bite at a time. Tim, again, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio. If you have an idea for a show or a guest, or you have a question about how you can reduce your personal carbon footprint, hit me up by email. I'm at gmail.com. And in any event, I'll catch you again next week on Everyday Enviro. Talk then. Bye, friends.
0: and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullservicerdo, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.